Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen here with you. The weather, Brendan, not nice. No. It is rainy. Better hope that that is not the weather for Thursday when we will be squaring off on the golf course. Yeah. Along with producer Tim Leonard for a special Masson All Access Podcast golf tournament, if you will. Should we stream it live on some of our social platforms? Maybe. I, I don't know if it'll be squaring off against Tim. Le- I, it, Tim will be playing golf, and you and I will be doing some rough attempt at golf. I, 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 look, I, my swing could use some work. I'll agree. However, I can it, hold my own. It's not as broken as I'm not going to hold my own against Tim. No. But, you know, I can, I'll score. Sure. Yeah. You'll score something. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll try to get you some coverage. I know that's what people are hankering for. Right. Uh, no, no coverage of any of the other stuff, Orioles stuff that we. Can. No, I they think people tune golf. into the podcast for our softball stories, which we lost. We finished the season totally defeated. Yes, zero and six, I think. And our golf outings. Yeah, exactly. that's what people tune in for. Exactly. Uh, all right, Brendan, let's talk about Adley Rutschman. This is going to be an exciting podcast. We're going to talk about Adley Rutschman's first three games. With the Baltimore Orioles. We are also going to uh, run an interview that we did. If you tuned into O's Extra last night, you may have seen some of it. We sat down with Orioles co-hitting coach Ryan Fuller. We're going to talk about uh, all things hitting. You know, his approach to hitting, uh, his upbringing in order to get him to Baltimore. Basically, how he worked his way through the Orioles system. How the Orioles found him. Uh, And then we're going to talk about some of the Orioles' top prospects. And what he's seen working with some of those guys. So it's going to be good stuff. But let's start with Adley Rutschman, Brendan. We've got three game sample size for Adley, and it still doesn't feel real. It no. still feels, you tune in, you see him in an Orioles uniform up at the plate, and it still feels like we're watching a spring training or exhibition game. Yeah, it's kind of surreal because my first year interning with Masson was the year that Adley got drafted. So pretty much the entire entirety of my Masson career so far has been Adley Rutschman in the minors and then the fact that he's actually here and all of the hype that has been around him just the amount of of comments of posts of whatever it might be of wanting Adley Rutschman to be here it doesn't feel real that he's actually here it's very strange and he even you know in that viral moment that we posted on at Masson Orioles had to take a moment to soak it all in and to appreciate the moment. And it, it, Kevin Brown said it well when he was talking over that clip, saying, few actually take the moment. You know, they, they say appreciate your first game, appreciate that moment. But he took a moment and turned around, looked at the crowd, and it looked like he was near tears. Yeah. Because of all of the hype, all of the time it's taken for him to get here, he's, he's realizing his dream, and it starts now. And I think it was interesting because I feel like a lot of guys who get called up it's kind of a business as usual kind of thing where, you know, they, they come up to the majors and they act like it's no big deal that they're here. This is what they're expected to do. But for Adley Rutschman, it seemed like 
he was really taking advantage of the fact that he was here and he was really excited about the fact that his family was here, that everybody was just so genuine. I mean, you could hear it from the fans. I know the stadium was not as packed as some may have expected, but I think the fans that were here were, it seemed like to me anyway, Orioles diehards who were really loud and really vocal about their love for Adley Rutschman and the fact that he's here. Didn't he strike out in his first at-bat? He get struck out in ovation? his first AB <laughs> and got a standing ovation. Yeah, that'll tell you exactly what you need to know about f- the fan support here. And obviously, the fans are just happy to see him. And I think that they are going to be appreciative of him pretty much no matter how he does. He's going to get a honeymoon period. He could be... It's fortunate that he got a triple in his first game. It's fortunate that he's got two hits so far, and we're going to talk about what we've seen from him in those first three games. But there's definitely a honeymoon period right now where for the next homestand, right now the Orioles are on the road in New York and then they're going to Boston. But now people have time to know that he's here and buy their tickets and come see him. And I think that we're going to get a good idea of, uh, you know, just how many people have been waiting to see this kid. Yeah, I mean, look, he hasn't been unbelievable at the plate so far, but I think he's still been very good and we'll get into more specifics about just how he's done at the plate. But there's been a lot of things about him that have really impressed me. I think it's the smaller things through his first three games that have really stood out to me. One of which being his plate approach in general. Yeah. Just how many pitches he sees during an at bat. You and I talked during his first game where it seems like if there's a ball that's a little bit too close to the strike zone for his comfort, he'll kind of just chop at it. Even if he knows he's not going to get a hit, he'll chop at it, make it go foul because he just is really hard to strike out. Yeah, his bat stays in the zone. Now, we are no hitting gurus like our guest Ryan Fuller is, but his bat stays in the zone. This is just from our eye test for a long time, and he's so good at making contact with pitches that he knows he can't do damage with, that he is just extending, prolonging his at-bats with these check swings, these half swings, because he knows he can get to those balls. You're going to get so few whiffs when it comes to Adley Rutschman. You talked about all the pitches he's seen as well. 74 pitches in his first 14 plate appearances. That comes out to 5.29 pitches seen per plate appearance. And for reference, Yoshi Sutsugo with the Pirates, currently leads all of Major League Baseball in pitches per plate appearance at 4.61. So Adley right now does not have nearly enough plate appearances to qualify, but he would be the leader by a large margin. He is seeing so many pitches, and that can just, even if you don't do much in an at-bat, even if you don't end that at-bat with a hit or a walk, you're still adding to the opposing pitcher's pitch count. You're still giving the guy on deck more pitches to see. And eventually when Adley bats higher up in the lineup, like second or third, that could be key if somebody's on deck looking at these pitches and they see a seven pitch at bat instead of a one or two pitch at bat. Yeah, it's pretty rarely that we've seen him chase out of the zone. And I think the pitches in the zone that, like you said, he knows he can't really do damage with, he's able to adjust his swing really really well and fight off pitches and it's just so impressive that I know the plate approach in general is not going to change much from the minor leagues to the majors but it's so impressive that that approach is able to be consistent at this highest level yeah well and we we saw him in the minors you know we were in person for plenty of his games but you do wonder there is some adjustment period 
you have to change your game somewhat between the minors and the majors. You have to adjust to major league pitching somehow. And to see him keep that same approach on day one, day two, and day three is very impressive. And something that, you know, kind of fell under the radar, and I'll take, you know, blame for that as well because we didn't talk about it that much, is just how many walks he takes compared to strikeouts. Last year, he struck out in the minor leagues in 123 games. He struck out 90 times. And for reference, Kyle Stowers, who led the minors in home runs last year, led the Orioles minor league teams in home runs last year, struck out 171 times. Gunnar Henderson struck out 143 times. Adley Rushman had 23 homers in 123 games, and yet he struck out 90 times and walked 78 times, or 79 times. That tells you how good his plate discipline is. And you always wonder, is, is it going to translate? Is he is he not getting as many pitches to see in the minors because he's a hype prospect, because he's head and shoulders above these guys? And once he gets to the majors, you know, is that plate discipline going to continue? And so far, minuscule sample size, three games, it has. Right, and his only two strikeouts so far, first one coming in his first career at bat, where I can't even imagine the jitters for Adley Rutschman. <laughs> and then Garrett Cole strikes him out. And Garrett Cole struck out 11 Orioles yesterday. Those are his only two strikeouts in his first three games, which is very impressive. Yeah, and he, it goes back to swing decisions as well. It's not just him. It's an organizational philosophy that Ryan Fuller is going to touch on in a little bit during our interview with him. But it's something that we saw, especially last year in the minors in Bowie, where Fuller was the the hitting coach there it is guys making sure that they're not chasing pitches that they know will be ground outs that they know they're not going to barrel and Adley doesn't do that he with two strikes he'll foul it off he's not going to sit there and try to you know take a strike three but he is making sure that he is putting his a swing on pitches that he can do damage with not his a swing on pitches he's going to you know ground back to the pitcher right and that applies to say you're in a one one count even if you're taking strike two, you would rather take strike two than swing at a pitch, even if it's in the strike zone. Yeah. Swing at a pitch that you can't do any damage with, that results in and out. You'd rather take a strike in that scenario, and it seems like throughout the minor leagues and at the major league level as well, that philosophy, like you said, that has been implemented by Ryan Fuller and Matt Borgschulte has really translated well to hitters. One more thing I wanted to touch on with Adley, too, that I was really impressed by. Some people weren't sure if once he got to the majors, he was still going to meet pitchers halfway between the pitcher's mound and the dugout, walking back to the dugout between half innings. It's such a small thing, but once it's been done, I'm almost surprised that every catcher doesn't do it because you've seen it a few times. I mean, when Adley came in to catch in extra innings the other day, CNL Perez, he meets halfway and they're fired up because CNL Perez had two great innings of relief for the Orioles and extras. And it's such a, like I said, it's a really small thing. It's just meeting the pitcher halfway and having 10 seconds to discuss or how the last half inning went or just get fired up or whatever it is. But it creates a camaraderie, it seems like, with the catcher and the pitcher. And for Adley Rutschman, who has just got here, and he needs to form that relationship with these new pitchers, it's a small thing that I think is going to go a really long way. Yeah, and it's not just after the good innings. It's not just after a strikeout. Right. It's It can help a lot after tough innings where you are, it, it, you're getting your immediate thoughts out so that it's not like you're sitting and you're stewing about it and you forget 
pitch sequencing, you forget what you wanted to say to the guy. It's here are a couple thoughts on that inning. What could we have done better? What could we have, what should we have thrown a different pitch here, different location here? And it was great to see in the minors because it was a lot of him running out and meeting D.L. Hall, him running out and meeting Grayson Rodriguez, battery mates that we expect to be in Baltimore for a long time. But for him to do it with every single pitcher means he wants to elevate their game just as much as they want to elevate his. Right. And it, like you said, it, it's surprising, I guess, that more players don't do it, but it's it's the major leagues. You know, guys guys have their own routine. They, have, they go about their own business their own way. They'll meet in the dugout. They'll talk about things. And for Adley especially, when he is going to be working with, right now he's working with a lot of pitchers that are older than him, a lot of pitchers that have played in the big leagues. He's just made his debut. But he's going to be likely behind the plate for Grayson Rodriguez's MLB debut, likely behind the plate for D.L. Hall's debut, and all these guys that are going to be coming up through the system. And so he'll be a slightly more veteran presence for these guys. And he can say, hey, I like that you threw that there. Didn't like that you threw that here. You know, what could I be doing differently? And it makes everybody better. And that is the kind of stuff that we heard about Adley since he was drafted number one overall from Oregon State, is that he makes his teammates better. He's Captain America, they called him, because he checks every box. And he's just a legitimate face of the franchise type player. Again, he's got a lot of work in front of him to turn himself into that. But when he has those little aspects of his game that put him over the top and that make him so likable and so charismatic and want to make his teammates better, it, it makes you very excited about his future. Yeah, it's the makeup thing. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Adley Rutschman has the tools to succeed. He's a great fielder. He's a great hitter. We know all of these things. But it's the stuff you can't find on the box score that leads a lot of people to believe that Adley Rutschman is going to be a star in this league. And the things that we've seen so far, the plate discipline, the amount of pitches he's seeing per at-bat, even though he only has two hits so far, the going out to greet a pitcher between every half inning. We don't know exactly what he says to those guys. I'm sure it varies after every half inning. But even if a pitcher gets knocked around a little bit, Natalie Rutschman just kind of jogs out and goes, hey, keep firing. Yeah, that's it. He is, there's an expression in sports and in other areas of life, be the thermostat, not the thermometer. A thermostat sets the temperature, a thermometer reacts to things. And for Adley, we're noticing with CNL Perez that he came out, he was fired up. If you, if you look at CNL Perez's last several outings, anytime he gets out of an inning, he's fired up. And for Adley to notice that, to see what makes CNL Perez tick, to see what fires CNL Perez up, and to mirror that, not mimic it, that mimic isn't a, a good enough word for that, but to take his energy and send it back his way shows that he's going to have a different... You can't treat every pitcher. You can't treat every teammate the same way. You have to treat every guy individually. And I'm sure that that fired up approach and that energy won't go well with some other guys, maybe some veterans that are more relaxed. That's and more probably calm. not a Jordan Lyles thing. Yeah, probably not a Jordan Lyles thing. Yeah. So uh, we didn't get to see it last night because Adley would just DH last night. People were asking why. It's just Adley's been catching a lot the past week. He's still ramping up. Yeah, keep in mind, even though he only caught one game for the Orioles that week, he had caught three straight games for Norfolk. Yeah. So the game that he caught on Saturday for the Orioles was his fourth time, fourth or fifth time catching that week. When he came in in extras to catch right in, on Sunday's game. So he had already caught four, kind of five times with those 
few innings he caught in extra innings. So that's why we yeah. didn't see him catch yesterday. But I think it's a good thing that Adley is jumping into this culture immediately too because the Orioles have a good thing going right now. They've won four of their last five, three by walk-off. They just beat the Yankees last night six to four. And so it's not like... The Garrett Cole Yankees yeah. six to four. And it's not like you're asking Adley to come in and go change the culture, go set a tone and start winning because that's way too much to ask of any rookie regardless of how good or how hyped up that rookie is. The Orioles right now have a good thing going. You can tell the clubhouse is in a good spot mentally. They have the home run chain. They have the goggles. They seem like they're playing for each other. They're never out of any game. That game they won on Sunday, they had no business winning that game. They were down 4 nothing after the first inning, and they fight their way back, and they've done that several times. They did it against the Angels earlier this year. They've done it so many times that Adley Rutschen is not being asked to change a clubhouse culture on day one. He's just blending. He's just fitting in immediately, and his energy is driving with the energy of everybody else in that clubhouse he's, right now. He's joining a clubhouse that's already excited about the future. Yeah. Because you and I mentioned last time when there was a lineup rolling out that, you know, didn't have somebody like Rudnet Odor in it who was a little bit older. Trey Mancini, I think, was the only hitter above the age of 27, 28. Yep. So it's already a young, exciting clubhouse with young, exciting talent. Some of these guys aren't as young as Adley Rutschman, obviously, but you have leaders like Austin Hayes, Cedric Mullins, Ryan Mountcastle, who are all playing really well, and they're still younger. Yeah. So that's still exciting because you can see a future realistically with guys like Austin Hayes and Cedric Mullins, and Adley Rutschman is just joining a clubhouse that already has a lot of prospects for the future. Awesome stuff. Exciting stuff. I mean, we're just three games in, and it feels like a, a, a different team. It feels like it starts now. And even before Adley Rutschman got here, when they walked off the Rays for the second time in a three-game series, <laughs> that was a stretch of Anthony Santander walk-off, Rugnet Odor walk-off, Adley Rutschman debut, another Rugnet Odor walk-off, and now you add, you just beat Garrett Cole yeah. to that five-game stretch. Yep. It's a heck of a stretch. It's going to be a tough week. They still play the Yankees a couple more times, and then they go to Boston, but exciting stuff. It, it's very, you know, very difficult for any rookie to be thrown right in against three AL East opponents, all three of whom are came into the season viewed as playoff, if not World Series contenders. Now the Red Sox are not performing as well. They have won eight of their last ten games. So they're going to get a hot Red Sox team next week uh, or later on in this week, I should say. So, you know, he's getting his feet wet against some very, very good teams, some very good opponents so far. But it's a good test. Yeah. Look, if there's one way, not that Orioles fans don't already love Adley Rutschman, but if there's one way to get fans to really believe in you and, and love you as a player, you get big hits against the Yankees and Red Sox yeah. in an Orioles uniform. I, that game on Sunday that he flew out to the warning track in the bottom of the 10th, I believe it was. Yeah. Man, I wanted him to. I know we ended up scoring the winning run, but boy. just If a, he hit a walk-off a homer. A couple more feet, too. And if yep. he just hit the top of the wall, or you know, that, you know, he didn't have to reach the flag court right. for him to walk that off. But, uh, yeah, that first Close. home run is coming. Do you think that's it's hitting the flag court, his first home run? I think he gets his first home run before the next homestand. Do you? I, I think, look, if Adley Rutschman... I think tonight is Jordan Montgomery. So if Adley mm -hmm. Rutschman is in the lineup, he'll be hitting right-handed. But we know there's the short porch in right field in Yankee Stadium. True. The starter for the Yankees for Wednesday, I believe, is still to be announced. 
But if he faces a right-handed starter on Wednesday and Adley Rutschman is batting lefty, pretty good chance for a short porch homer. We know the pesky pole in Fenway as well. Yeah. Not too hard to hit a homer to right field there. True. So if Adley Rutschman, he has a bit more power lefty, which is why I'm assuming that he'll get his first home run right left-handed, excuse me. Yeah. But some some home run friendly parks this week. I think he gets his first. He also spreads the ball out pretty well. He's he's got some pretty impressive power to the opposite field, especially he when he is batting lefty. So could go any which way, but going to be exciting. His first home run at Camden Yards as well, even if he hits his first big league home run on the road here. All right. Yeah. Well, we talked to Orioles co-hitting coach Ryan Fuller uh, late last week. Again, part of this interview ran on O's Extra. A uh, lot of good stuff that we discussed, uh, you know, how he got to the Orioles, how he has worked with this Orioles lineup, how he worked with them right before the shutdown or right before the lockout, excuse me. Uh, and he gave some scouting reports on Adley, on Kyle Stowers, and on Gunnar Henderson. Take a listen. We're joined now on the Mass in All Access podcast by Ryan Fuller, one of the Orioles hitting coaches at the major league level. Ryan, thanks so much for hopping on here. Thanks for having me. Big fan of you guys. <laughs> yeah, you're one of the rare listeners, regular listeners throughout the, uh, you said during 2020 and COVID and everything, you were listening to the podcast? Yeah, I had to know what was going on. Obviously, we have information, but to hear it from you guys too and just the Mass and family, always watch. This is... Wow, I think we found our one fan. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> we, we have to accept this because this is a rare opportunity for there's, us. More. <laughs> there's more um so thanks so much for doing this uh kind of the basis of this conversation i mean you obviously have such a great background in the basics of hitting but you also have such a great background with a lot of the players in this orioles organization not just the guys that you've got to work with at the major league level but going back to the minor league level as well what kind of prior to coming to this organization what kind of things did you do to set yourself up to be in a position like this and be hired by a major league organization? I'm living the dream. <laughs> I never thought that this would be possible. I gave hitting lessons, coach high school athletes, even little leaguers when I was 20 years old. So I've been coaching for a while and I just did it because I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed learning more about the swing, how to best practices when it came to coaching, getting learning to stick. So it was never a goal to get into pro ball, but Luckily, over time, my clientele started getting a little bit better, started with high school athletes then college, and then professional athletes, too, started coming in. So publicize it through social media just to really get more clients to come through the facility I worked at in Connecticut. But people like Matt Blood were on Twitter, social media, saw that I had a little bit of a following and trying things out, learning by no means was it great stuff that I was doing years ago, but then got an opportunity and to be here sitting with you guys now at Camden is definitely a dream come true and nothing that I thought would be possible when I started coaching. Do you think there's any big lessons that you took from coaching guys at, at lower levels, even kids that you are carrying on with you now? Yeah, you got to make it simple for sure. You can't go in and say, hey, we need your elbow here, your back leg. How can we kind of get it all together in one sticky way that they're going to leave and have success when they leave the lesson, when they leave the batting cage? That's one thing that as an organization, we really try and do have it transfer from training into the game. So how can we make it simple when they leave the cage, go to the game, say, I'm prepared and ready? You said just now, I think you're selling yourself short. You said by no <laughs> means was it great stuff that you were doing then. <laughs> what kind of things have you changed or learned since those days, since being brought on by an organization? 
there's so many smart, intelligent people to learn from here. And you start to understand, okay, how does learning best occur? And when you first start, it's okay, we got to have every rep's got to be perfect. So kind of what we call blocked practice. And you get here and you see that these guys can go on autopilot. They can hit the ball off the tee, flips perfectly every time. It's how can we challenge you? How can we have you struggle against curveballs in training? So when you get out there, you can make decisions and not have to think about it. So we transition to more random training. Okay, let's make it a little bit funky. Maybe you'll swing and miss. Maybe you'll see a breaking ball that you haven't seen before. But that's been one of the big things when I started. It was very much like every rep's got to be perfect. And now where it's let's explore, let's get messy. It might not look good, but you're going to be more prepared when you go out into the field. One of the things we talked about in Detroit, we were talking about Austin Hayes, and you mentioned how he likes to be challenged in batting practice. Do you think that's something that you've tried to use with a lot of different players in the organization right now? You're trying to challenge them as much as possible going into games so they're prepared? Yeah, we do that from the Dominican Republic all the way to Camden right now. And the guys start to understand that we're blending development so guys can slow it down, work on specific traits in their swings. But as we get closer to game time, we're preparing for a pitcher who's trying to get you out with elite stuff, especially in the AL East. There's no nights off. So that blend between, okay, work on your swing when you first get in, and then as we get closer to game time, it's got to be preparing for what you're going to see that night. So if he has a wipeout slider, let's expose ourselves to some wipeout sliders. So when you get in there, it's not the first time seeing it. Going back to your time working with some of these minor leaguers, you had 2020 at the alternate site in Bowie. How much of that for you was a getting these guys ready for game action and just how much of it was just working on their mechanics of their swing? Was there a good balance, do you feel like, of you know, actual game play and instruction? 2020 was huge for me personally. Myself, Anthony Villa, got to be at the alternate site with Buck Britton, a great coaching staff there, and we got to know Adley, Gunner, Cedric was there, Mountcastle was there for a good time. Yeah. So all of the guys who are going to be here as a unit, we got to work with them, and it was every single day, six hours coming to the ballpark, get your tests out of the way. And then it was we had plenty of time for development, and then we started playing games every day against our own pitchers. So we got to game plan for our own guys. We got to do different things in terms of training and batting practice every day, and especially with Adley, Gunner really start planting the seeds for what we're seeing now blossoming in front of our eyes at higher levels. Now, obviously it's not ideal not to have games, but how important do you think the alternate site was for some of these younger guys in terms of their development? Gunner was 18 years old there playing <laughs> yeah. against major leaguers. That would never happen under normal circumstances. So although we missed a year of development in terms of gameplay, having an actual season, I think for Gunner, Adley, those younger guys, it was a huge boon to development for them. And we could see that when they come up in spring training games, they feel like I've seen this before, like I belong up here. So for them and for coach, the coaches that were there too, it was huge for our development as well. I think in a bit we're going to ask about some of those specific hitters, Adley, Gunner, and what you've seen from them. But on the coaching side, the process of getting you from double-A hitting coach to major league co-hitting coach, what was that hiring process like? Did you ever think, especially in, in 2021, that you were on a track to be a big league co-hitting coach at some point in the near future? 
I mean, once I got into pro ball, obviously your goal is, man, someday it would be awesome to be the hitting coach, especially for the organization like the Orioles that I love and care about so much. Started at the low A level, worked your way up very quickly, obviously, but something that I never dreamt of. But you get here and you see that, okay, I was really nervous to be the low A hitting coach. It worked out well at the outside. Double A, man, it's a higher level. I don't know if I'm prepared, but coming in every day, making sure you have great relationships with the players. I think Borgs and I and the whole hitting staff do a great job of being ultra prepared, having contingency plans set up. So coming in, you develop those relationships with players and they see you provide them value and every day just trying to be really prepared for everything that comes our way. The co-hitting coach is, and the co-pitching coach, it's a growing aspect of the game. More and more teams are kind of adopting this approach because of the uh, you know, growing aspect of those games and the importance of instruction. Is that something that you found different or intriguing when you were named co-hitting coach and when you were promoted to that title? Was that something that they made clear to you that they wanted to bring somebody else along with you uh, so that you had somebody else to work with? Yeah, I love the co-hitting coach position. It's amazing. In the minor leagues, there's one hitting coach. Mm-hmm. Obviously, last year in Bowie, I had Jeff Kunkel, Grant Anders, Buck Britton, all essentially assistant hitting coaches. But to have another dedicated person to help in the cage, in the dugout, go through attack plans for the pitchers, just overall preparation and tracking, it's been enormous. And we're really fortunate that Borgs is completely on board, and he's brought a ton from the Twins organization, too. We really respect what they do and being able to take what they do well and complement what we've been doing as well. Now, do you and Borg Schulte have similar focuses, or are there kind of different things that you guys do well and you're able to meld them together? Yeah. Values are the same in terms of what we value, but he's really good at different aspects that maybe I lack and vice versa. So we take each other's strengths, help cover maybe some areas we're not as comfortable, but having two people with different backgrounds to come together, work together, these guys have had a really great cage environment every day. If you need this, hey, go to Borgs. Hey, Fuller's good with this. So it's just two guys working together to provide the best environment for our hitters. What do you think your strengths are versus his? I think they cover really well and blend together. I think we're both really good teachers, and we talk about it all the time from the minor leagues on up. We think of ourselves as kind of like caddies in golf, (laughs) like We got the clubs available for you, but ultimately we want the hitters to be accountable to make those decisions. So we kind of offer a buffet for them to choose from. There's no one way. There's no magic pill. But the two of us together, hey, here's what we need to work on. Here's some options. Let's uncover it and kind of holding the players accountable. So when they do have success, it's totally on them. They made the choices. So I think Borgs and I do a great job of that together. So as I understand it, you were brought on first. And then you helped in or assisted in the hiring process of Matt Borgschulte. What was that process like and what did you learn about Matt that you didn't know going into the process and what made it clear that he was somebody that you wanted to work with? Yeah, I'm very fortunate to be able to be a small part of that interview process and to meet some really great hitting minds. So Michael Elias, Matt Blood, Sig, Hyder, obviously, we got to meet great people and talking with Borgs on the phone even before kind of getting to know each other it was like man this guy has he been watching us for the past couple of years (laughs) he's talking about the things we value and immediately you could feel that this is just a great person that you want to be around too you could sense that the players are going to want to work with him 
he cares about what he's doing incredibly well and always prepared. So once it was, okay, this guy might be the guy, went down to Florida. He's from Fort Myers. We got to play golf together a little bit and just a, a really good partnership from the get-go, and we feel very fortunate to have him. Did you have caddies for that game? We did not have caddies. <laughs> we rode in the same cart. <laughs> but nice. you probably felt the need for a caddy. <laughs> Absolutely, <that> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Haven't played golf since then. <laughs> <laughs> so, obviously, you are a, a younger coach. What's it like for you having somebody like a Trey Mancini, who's an older veteran presence in the clubhouse, a leader on and off the field? How helpful has having him been for you? It's huge. It's a small world. Trey and I played against each other in college when I was at UConn and he at Notre Dame. So it's a, been a very small world, but I think these guys have felt right away. We didn't come in and say, hey, here's th how things are going to be. We're not changing anything. It was, let's sit down with the veterans like Trey, Cedric. Hey, what's worked? What can we do to make it even better? So they've had a voice and they are not afraid to come up to us and say, hey, can we tweak this? No problem. So we really want them to feel like this is their hitting department. If there's things they value, we're going to keep doing it. So guys like Trey have been huge with that. Was that kind of your initial focus of wanting to get the veteran guys in the clubhouse to really buy into what you guys were trying to do? Yeah, and the things that we preach organizationally, controlling the zone, making great swing decisions, making a lot of contact and hitting the ball hard, those are intuitive things that every hitter could buy into relatively easily. And then it was, okay, we're going to train a little bit differently, make it a little bit harder at times. Are you guys okay with that? And every guy has been a, yes, challenge me. I want to be coached. I want to be better. And they saw pretty quickly that we provide them information, training environments that are going to help them improve. So no player that wants to get better is going to say no to that. So you had the hiring process happen in the 2021-2022 offseason, which, as we know, had the lockout in the middle of it. You were hired before the lockout. Guys like Trey Mancini and Cedric Mullins that you knew were going to be on this team, did you have a chance to reach out to them and explain what your hitting coach process was going to be like and give them any kind of instruction during the offseason before you ultimately couldn't talk to them for several months? We obviously wish the lockout didn't happen. Borgs and I had flights in mind going to see Cedric, Trey, getting guys together in Florida to be able to work with them and really just spend time with them, get to know them really well. But those quick phone calls right before the lockout happened really quickly. And the goal was just to say, we got hired. We're so excited to work with you. How's your swing feeling? What's your plans for this offseason? So it really wasn't us dictating anything. And luckily, I know a few of the guys pretty well. So going in, it was just touching base. We're thinking about you. We don't know how long this is going to be. But when you come back, we're going to sit down, make a plan, and we're going to get after it right away. And that you obviously could talk to guys who were not on the 40-man roster. Did you take advantage of that? Absolutely. We had a mini camp in January with some of our minor league hitters, Kyle Stowers, Pat Dorian, Adley, those guys. And it was amazing to have the major league staff work with them, too. So we found creative ways to stay in touch with our minor leaguers and make sure that they felt valued as well. Now, you mentioned some of those minor league guys. We do want to break them down a little bit. One of the guys you just mentioned, Kyle Stowers. What do you see from his swing? I know the strikeout rate for Stowers has been something that he's been focusing on this year especially, but what do you think works for his swing? Obviously, a ton of power, and when he makes contact, it's very loud, and he's not shy with what he needs to work on, and he knows that they attack top of the zone with heaters. That's where he has a lot of whiff. And luckily, we have Tim Gibbons in AAA doing a great job of working with them. We've seen that K rate go down. 
but he's just a special, special person. He knows what he needs to work on, and he's one of our best preparers for each pitcher. So he sits down, goes through their attack plan, and says, what do I need to do to counteract that and make it one of my strengths too? So he's a guy, you tell him, here's what you need to work on. He's going to do everything he can to make sure that turns into a strength. Gunnar Henderson has incredible power as well. Very different swing, I would say, though. What about his swing is special? We talked to him during the right before the season started about changing his bat path. Is that something that you had a chance to work on him on with him before the season? Yeah, Anthony Villa, one of our coordinators, has been with Gunner all the way through 2019 when we got hired. He's gone to Selma to Gunner's house, hit with him in his cage. And one of the things with Gunner is, man, these pitchers are attacking us vertically, horizontally. Do we have solutions bat path-wise to cover those spots? And for him especially, just learning how to flatten out the barrel a little bit, getting to those high fastballs, because he's been very good at bottom part of the zone, being able to hit breaking balls extremely well. But it's just saying, we're going to expose you to a lot of different shapes. Let's see where problems arise and turn those into solutions. And then there's Adley Rutschman, who obviously did not come in with many issues with his swing. He was a proven college bat. How do you take a player like that from somebody who is already great and you're just trying to continuously improve? Every guy has something they need to work on, and Adley is not any different from any other player. He goes through some highs and lows, but what we appreciate most is he's so consistent with his attitude. He's so consistent with his work ethic. He's a leader just with the way he goes about doing things. So he's one of our best trainers in terms of, hey, bring the hard stuff on. I want to make sure that I'm battle-tested for each game. And you go in and you just say, here are the things we think you need to work on. We're going to track these numbers. We want you to take a look at every month and say, hey, it's trending up. Great job. Trending down a little bit, make some small adjustments. But for him, it's just kind of small adjustments as you go through. And Adley knows it's a process. We're not looking for nightly results. We're looking to develop long-term. He's done a great job with that in the minor leagues. Ryan, we could do an hour and a half <laughs> to two hours with you, but we got to let you go <laughs> and get ready for the game tonight. We really appreciate you taking the time, and good luck the rest of the season. Thank you, guys. Keep doing a great job. That was Orioles co-hitting coach Ryan Fuller joining the Mass and All Access podcast. You heard him mention Kyle Stowers talking about his swing. Kyle Stowers had three home runs the other night. He's starting to turn things around. You heard him mention Gunnar Henderson, who, by the way, moved up into the top 50 in MLB Pipeline's top 100 prospect rankings. Brendan, this guy is going to be soaring up prospect rankings, and now he's uh, sitting at number 48 going from 60 to 48. Yeah, I think that's kind of an underrated part of this Orioles rebuild is that, yes, they've had a lot of top picks in the last few drafts, but their player development has really been outstanding. You can draft Adley Rutschman first overall, and he can have all of the tools, but you still need to develop him, and you still need to teach him how to get from single A to the majors. Right, You draft guys like Grayson Rodriguez, Gunnar Henderson, who are now all of a sudden top 50 prospects. I mean, Grayson Rodriguez is up to the third best prospect in all of baseball, and Grayson Rodriguez was not a number one overall pick. Gunnar Henderson was not a first-round pick. So the player development throughout the minor leagues has been outstanding for the duration of this rebuild, And I think it's a really underrated part of this rebuild. Yeah, I mean, Grayson Rodriguez was a first-round pick, but he was not a slam dunk. 
first round pick right. when he was taken. And he was taken, I believe, like 18th overall. So not all of those guys end up being top prospects. And it, there's only one top pitching prospect in all of baseball right now, and it's Grayson Rodriguez. Could have been, and it could have been Jack Leiter. Could have been any one of these top pitchers that were selected early on. So it's, it is the development. I think Michael Elias called Gunnar Henderson a flagship player for their program, basically explaining how, you know, you take a high school bat like that, it can go any number of ways. It's, it's not like he's on a path to stardom simply because he's a high school bat who is signed over slot. You have to put in the work to develop this guy. The guy has to buy in as well. And Gunnar Henderson has done an incredible job at that. But it, it takes a lot of work to take this guy from a toolsy prospect in, taken in the draft and signed over slot to a top 50 prospect. Yeah, Gunnar Henderson was far from a slam dunk. A lot of the guys towards the top of the Orioles farm system were not slam dunks. And Ryan Fuller has played, I think, it seems like a large part in the development of some of these hitters at the minor league level. And that's part of the reason why he got the promotion to the major league level. And Paul, you and I talked about this outside of the podcast as well. But one of the things that really impressed me about talking to Ryan Fuller was that he talks about these players as people. And then he talks about them as hitters. And I think that's really impressive because he's finding out what makes them tick as human beings and figures out ways to connect with them. He talked with us as well about the experience of, of being a teacher and and how that's helped him in his career as well. So he's able to connect with these players on a human level. And then he is able to connect with them as hitters and help them grow, not only in the batter's box, but as individuals as well. And I think that's really important with a really young team. The way he talks, I can definitely see him being a good teacher. Yeah, he explains things very, very calmly. You know, he's not uh, overbearing. Right. But you can you can see how he can take complex topics and break them down and make them easily digestible. Right. You need to figure out ways to take these really complicated hitting philosophies and break them down into things that guys like you and I can understand, even when he's sitting here talking to us about it. Things like swing decisions that obviously he's explaining on a more complex level to the players, but clearly the players are getting it yeah. because we have seen improvements pretty much across the board from a lot of Orioles hitters at the major league level this year. And we've seen improvements throughout the last few years from the minor league guys as well. One guy who is great at not chasing, he's great at taking his walks, Tyler and Evan. Let's talk about the roster move there because the Orioles did send him back down to AAA Norfolk. To me, I I don't see this as a long-term play. It's similar when they optioned Ryan McKenna back down to AAA a couple weeks ago, and then they brought him back up two weeks later. To me, I see Nevin in a similar category. I don't think the O's have much playing time available for him now. Ramon Rios is actually playing a quality third base. Initially, to start the year, he really wasn't, but he's starting to turn things around. He, he talked on O's Extra last night about Tony Mancellino helping him a lot, and he's improved his defense at third. So they don't have a hole for him at third. They have two first basemen in, in Mancini and Mountcastle, and Adley can play there in a pinch. Corner outfields are kind of taken up. They have McKenna as their fourth outfielder. So I think this is just a case of they want to make sure Nevin gets every day at bats because they don't really have a spot for him. I think it's more of a case of just needing bullpen arms more yeah, than you need, need pitching Tyler too. Nevin. Yeah. I mean, this move I think can be – broken down by the fact that Spencer Watkins goes out of the game on Sunday with 
an injury in the first inning. Right arm contusion. Right arm contusion gets drilled by a liner, and now he's unfortunately on the 15-day injured list. But the Orioles needed to use a ton of bullpen arms. Yeah. And you're going into a stretch where you are facing a bunch of really good lineups with you were at the back end of the Rays series. Now you're facing the Yankees, and then you have a five-game set in Boston. Yeah. So you are facing a bunch of good lineups where you can't really expect your pitchers to go five, six, seven innings every single time. Yeah. So you need as many bullpen arms as possible, which is why you are okay with having one less bench piece in Tyler Nevin, and you need more bullpen arms because you just are going to need to get through these games. And I know what people are thinking. Why is Chris Owings the bench piece? If you're sticking with one shortstop, he can play shortstop. That's, that's it. That's, that's pretty much the only reason it's, it's a, it's a Pat Valaika situation where he, because he can play Tyler Nevin can't play shortstop. So you're in a pinch at short with Mateo goes down. You can stick Ramon Arias there, but then that creates a hole at another spot. So Ramon Arias has not been very good yeah. defensively at shortstop and it's not like Chris Owings is fantastic defensively at shortstop I think if you're going to make a case against having Chris Owings here like he's versatile enough he can play second short third corner outfield you don't really need him to play a corner outfield because you have Ryan McKenna and Trey Mancini that are outfield options there you don't need him to play third if Tyler Nevin is on this team especially you can have Ramon Arias as your close to everyday third baseman if Ruknet Odor is playing second. So you have enough depth at second and third where you don't have depth is shortstop. And I think you can make a legitimate case that Richie Martin hitting, I think, what, close to 290 at AAA Norfolk, three years younger than Chris Owings, is hitting well, would probably be a better option. I think that is more of a legitimate discussion than a Tyler Nevin versus Chris Owings. And it again, it comes down to the permanence of removing Chris Owings from the roster because he's right. out of options. You have to be prepared to lose him permanently. Whereas Tyler Nevin, you can option him back down. He's got plenty of option, options. Call him back up in a week or two. Whereas if you are ready to move on from Chris Owings, you got to be prepared to lose him via a waiver claim. I think we'll see Tyler Nevin in a week because right now you are carrying as many pitchers as possible because of how many guys you had to use in place of Spencer Watkins. And I think once you are kind of caught up from that mess a little bit, Tyler Nevin gets the call back up. Most likely, I think that he is going to be one of the sooner calls up. And the Orioles are kind of looking at a bullpen game or a opener and then a long reliever for Spencer Watkins' next, next start. We'll see exactly what they do, but... They don't have too many internal candidates to start games right now. They want to keep Keegan Aiken in the bullpen. Alexander Wells is still hurt. Dean Kramer made his way back up to AAA Norfolk. Maybe they're ready to stretch him out, but it seems a little early. You would have to see if Dean Kramer is healthy enough. I don't think he's pitched it's, more than, what, three or four innings yeah, through probably, his rehab starts. It's probably going to take a little bit more time for him. So they don't really have a, a great candidate right now. Zach Lowther's not pitching great in AAA, so... They're they're looking at uh, as many bullpen arms as they can. That's why they sent Mike Bauman back down after he was good is because they need somebody who's fresher. Right. Uh, you know, they, they just need a fresh arm who's ready to eat some innings like Jordan Lyles eight innings, gobbled him up, 117 pitches last Whew. night. Yeah, my best guess for that Spencer Watkins start is maybe we see Mike Bauman go four, try to have him there, and then maybe Keegan Aiken bounces off of him. Or yeah. maybe they just start Brian Baker again. Yeah, that worked out pretty well. Brian Baker goes, I think, two plus innings 
worked into the third, and then Keegan Aiken works three or four innings. That's my best guess. Maybe if Mike Bauman is fresh enough by then, you go with Bauman. So, unfortunately, fans, I do not think it's Grayson Rodriguez. Sorry. No. I think he's close. I thought it was interesting. I was listening to Steve Molesky's postgame show the other day, uh, and he was talking, he, he talked to Mike Elias, and Elias was talking about how Grayson Rodriguez came into camp a little bit off kilter, he said, in terms of his mechanics, and that he needed to get right back on track. And maybe that's part of the reason that Grayson was not unbelievable through the first month of the season and now we are seeing unbelievable Grayson Rodriguez so they're going to give it a little give give it a little bit more time uh, but they're still kind of being careful with him I don't think they're going to ever have him throw 100 pitches this year or if they do it's going to come in August or September so even when he comes up they're going to keep him on a pretty strict pitch limit yeah I would guess that it'll still be a few weeks before we see Grayson Rodriguez It's the Kyle Bradish thing again. We talked about the beginning of the season when John Means gets hurt. You had a clear opening in the rotation for Kyle Bradish, but you weren't going to rush the blueprint. Yeah. You weren't going to rush Kyle Bradish to get to the rotation solely because you had an opening due to an injury. Yeah. You are certainly not going to deviate from the plan with Grayson Rodriguez just because Spencer Watkins goes down. Yeah. It's look, that wasn't going to change whether or not there was a rotation spot for Grayson Rodriguez. Whether Spencer Watkins is healthy or not, he's probably getting the boot for Grayson Rodriguez. Exactly. Either way. Exactly. Well, when we see Grayson, we will be excited, and we will do pretty much just as much coverage for Grayson Rodriguez's MLB debut that we just did this past weekend for Adley Rutschman. That just about does it for our podcast today. Of course, you can listen on all of our Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all the good podcast platforms you can listen to us you can watch us on youtube and on facebook at brandon morty is brandon's twitter handle i am at paul mancano thank you to tim leonard making his producer debut here on the mass and all access podcast hope to work tim more into the mix as the season goes along as well thanks so much for tuning in wherever and however you are tuning in and we will catch you next time